preaching text for this morning is from Romans 6. What then are we to say? Should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died in sin go on living in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him so the body of sin might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. For whoever has died is freed from sin. But if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin exercise dominion in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. No longer present your members to sin as instruments of wickedness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and present your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. The word of the Lord. Well, brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. How can we, who died to sin... Go on living in it. This question from our reading today, this question has haunted the church from the very beginning of its time all the way through the present day to today. How can we, who call ourselves Christians, who profess to follow Jesus Christ, how can we find ourselves in our daily lives so thoroughly pervaded by sin and its fruits. Christians have been asking this question of themselves for the whole history of the church. Paul, in fact, in the very next chapter, after he talks about being dead to sin and alive to God uh, and having died to sin, he, he, talks, he says this right at the end of chapter 7. He says, I find it to be a law that when I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. He says, I delight in the law in my, uh, in my inmost self, but I see in my members, that is in my body parts, I see uh, another law at war with the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? This question has haunted the church. It's asked by Christians, those inside the church. It's also asked by those who are outside the church, those who have been witnesses of things done by the church as an institution or by the individual Christians within the church, things that can only be called corrupt or evil. 
And so the question is raised, how can you who say you have been justified by faith, as we heard last week, that is made righteous through this trusting relationship with God, our creator, how can it be that you don't seem any more righteous or any more holy than any of us on the outside? It's a startling question, especially in the terms that Paul puts it, because he doesn't just say, how can you who have, you know, put so much effort into this still go on living in sin? He doesn't just say, how can we who um, have made a change in our lives go on making, uh, go on living in sin? He says this, how can you, or we rather, how can we who have died to sin? Go on living in it. Now, this question of Paul is actually answering another question, you may have noticed. Our reading opens with a question, and then Paul answers that question with another question. Uh, Should we continue in sin so that grace may abound? So if you remember uh, the, the trajectory of Romans that we've been following so far, we heard that theme verse the first week of, uh, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation, for the uh, righteous will live by faith. Uh, and then last week we heard about righteous or uh, justification by faith and all of that, that entails, that it's not just sort of this having an excuse because you believe a certain thing. It's actually God's power making you righteous by this trusting relationship. If you remember this quote from Luther, faith is that which makes you a chick and Christ a hen under whose wings you can find hope. Faith is this relationship of trust with your Savior. The question then some people have, well, if it's not about anything that we do, if salvation uh, is not something that we can work, in fact, our works only get in the way of God's work of salvation in us, then perhaps the answer is to do uh, whatever feels good, to do whatever feels right for us, to do whatever uh, sin and its desires, as Paul labels them here, uh, are pushing us to do. After all, the more we sin, the more forgiveness there is, right? And certainly that's a good thing. Grace will overflow the more that we sin. I heard a story of someone saying that God and I are a good match, because I just love sinning and God just loves forgiving. Is that the, uh, the attitude that uh, results here from this justification by faith that we have received? Paul's answer is that it doesn't make sense. How can we who have died to sin go on living in it? Now, sin here is not just sort of these uh, concrete acts that you think of. It's not just uh, doing something that you're not supposed to do. It's not just failing to do things that you are supposed to do. Sin, in the way that Paul talks about it in this chapter and really throughout the book of Romans, is a power. It's a domain. It's a kingdom. It's a world in which we live. It is something that is far bigger and far more powerful than we could ever hope to escape from on our own. But Paul says with this question that we have died to this world and have been raised into another world. And the way that this has happened is not through our own uh, decision-making process. It's not through our own um, effort. It's not through doing our very best in order to be on God's good side. It's through baptism, which for many of us here is something we don't even remember. It happened to us when we were so young. Paul says, don't you know 
that everyone who has been baptized into Christ Jesus was baptized into his death. When you were baptized, it wasn't just uh, some nice uh, little ceremony uh, when we maybe welcome a baby into the congregation, or if you were older, uh, a a child, a teenager, an adult, uh, when you were baptized. It's not just you making a nice commitment. It's actually being joined together with Christ in his death on the cross, being buried with Christ, Paul says, into his tomb. And if that seems a bit dire, it's all for a purpose. Because we know that if we have died with Christ, Paul writes in verse 8, we believe we will also live with him. Having been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Now, there's these words, uh, and it doesn't come through in English all that well, just because we don't have a good way of doing this. But all throughout this passage, Paul is using this thing in Greek where he just puts the word with on the front of the verb. So in Greek, you can do this. You can just sort of join words together. We can do it a little bit in English. But Greek does this thing where all of the the verbs that he uses, so uh, died, uh, buried, uh, uh, live, walk, um, being united with, these sorts of things, are all of these verbs that have this little word in Greek, with on the front of them. And what they do is it's a way of talking about being so uh, incredibly close with Christ so that the the barriers between you and him actually begin uh, to, to, to blur a bit. That it actually becomes hard to pry apart, okay, where do I end and where does Christ begin? You begin to overlap. In fact, this word united with is really this word for plants growing. And the image that you get is of plants that are growing too close together, maybe a grapevine or something like that, and they begin to intertwine as they grow into each other. If you've ever seen two trees that have started growing in the same spot and they've kind of merged into one tree and there's really no way that you could ever extricate them from each other, this is what Paul is saying has happened to you in your baptism. You've actually been united with Christ and united with him in his death. And that means you have died. Now, of course, you haven't died physically. Not yet, anyways. We're on our way, all of us. But it's still an ongoing process. As, uh, as Gary once told me, we're all terminal, um, all of us. But we have died to sin through this promise of Christ in us. Sin Paul says, will have no dominion over you. It will not lord over you. It will not pose as your master because you have died to sin in your baptism and you have been made alive together with Christ in God. Now, this resurrection has already occurred, at least the important part of it. You have already been joined with Christ in his resurrection, in his victory over sin Yet that question keeps coming up. How can it be that we who have died go on living in sin? We are joined with Christ in his resurrection, but we're joined with him in a hidden way. A way that we don't experience with our, with our seeing, with our hearing. We don't experience it with our touch, with our feeling. In fact, as we look around the world, as we see news story after news story of misdeeds done by those who call themselves Christians, as we look at our own lives and see the ongoing presence and power sin has over us, 
it's easy to doubt that any of this is real at all. Is there any reality to what Paul has said? Is baptism really that big of a deal? It seems to have made so little difference. But Paul has said that in, by, because of the promise of God in Christ, we can trust this promise. That we have been united with Christ in this hidden way, but it being hidden does not make it any less real. So what does that mean for the Christian life then? What does that mean for you and I? I mean, obviously, we shall not continue in sin so that grace may abound. That is not uh, what, what we're after here. But neither is it the case that we're going to go on and suddenly be sinless, not being sinners, perfect in every way, growing stronger and better every way and every day as we march forward in the grace of God. No. There is some... Uh, uh, progress, you could say, in the Christian life, but it's not the progress of becoming more self-sufficient. It's not the process of becoming less in need of God's grace. It's not the process of not being a sinner anymore, at least not in this life. It's the process of being claimed more and more deeply by the God who forgives, by the God who is gracious. One of my teachers uh, likened sanctification, which is this process of becoming holy, he likened it to uh, an increase in senility. That was what he called it. And what he meant by that was as you become uh, farther and farther progressed in the Christian life, you forget all of the things that are uh, telling you not to trust in the word of God to you, telling you who you are. That when you look down and you see all your sins, and then you look back up and you hear Christ giving you this promise in baptism, in communion, in preaching, instead of uh, trying to combat the promise with all of the evidence, good evidence, of the sin in you, you just sort of forget about it. You forget about yourself and you listen only to what Christ has to say. And then as you look away from Christ, instead of this memory of your sin and your own body and trying to prove yourself righteous, coming back and taking the day again, you start looking around. And still forgetting yourself, you start to see your neighbors. And you start to see that, hey, this person needs some help with this. I'm just going to go help this. Whereas when you don't have that forgetting, what you do is you say, hey, this person needs help. I bet God would really like me if I did that. Or think about how I could uh, get in good with uh, whoever it is, my church or my community, if they saw that I was doing this sort of thing. Think of my picture on the front of the paper for how good I could be. But when God's grace takes hold of you, all of that gets forgotten. Jesus says, when you give alms, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. I don't think he's exaggerating. God will do good works through you, and you won't even know that you did them. In fact, I think when we get to this last judgment, we will hear the story of our lives told by God, and we will be shocked at all of the things God used us to do that we had no idea. In fact, it's probably good because if we had known, we would have gotten in the way somehow. So how can we, who have died to sin, go on living in it? The answer is we can't. We don't. Those parts of our lives that are dominated by sin, those days in which uh, we find it so hard to trust that promise, we're not living we're dying. And that dying is a process that will continue. And finally, one day will come to an end. And all that will be left is this increasing life, 
this increasing abundant life, this increase in senility, forgetting all of the uh, lies that the world and the devil and ourselves tell ourselves and hearing only the promise of Christ. That on account of his work for you, on account of his death and his resurrection, on account of his choosing you in the promise of baptism, you are forgiven. You are his saint whom he has chosen, whom he loves, and he will not let you go. Amen.